Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. It is Tuesday, September 27th, live from my apartment in his attic. This is the Ben Churowski Show. I'm DJ Nate, filling in for the one and only Dr. D. Today in the show, we have Maya Tukmasova, a reporter for Injustice Watch, and Dave Glowatz, who runs the Inside Chicago Government website. And now, your host, Chicago Reader columnist, Ben Jarofsky. Hello, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this Mean Mayor Tuesday, and here's why. Well, first of all, welcome back after uh, a nice weekend off. Bears won. Glad to see that. Always happy when the Bears win. And the Bulls. Media day yesterday and for the, my beloved Chicago Bulls. I was ecstatic all day long and just put off until later uh, of any uh, questions uh, about whether they're going to be any good. Just always happy when I see pictures of the Bulls. All right. Now uh, on to the matters at hand. Mean Mayor Tuesday. Why am I calling this Mean Mayor Tuesday? Because I awoke to discover a text message from a friend uh, sending me the uh, latest editorial from the Chicago Tribune denouncing Lori Lightfoot for being a mean mayor, not handling criticism the right way. I just I just find this ongoing fascination that Chicago has or obsession Chicago has with the mayor's personality, her prickly personality to be very interesting. As everybody knows, who listens to the show and reads my columns and reads my newsletters. I've been known to be critical of Mayor Lori Lightfoot. I'm not really uh, pleased with the way she's uh, run the city. She's not a lefty. She's not a progressive. That much I know. So, uh, yes, I have a lot of policy uh, differences with uh, the mayor. But this whole obsession that people have with her prickly personality and the fact that she's not nice to people, or she doesn't take advice uh, readily, that's the latest from the Chicago Tribune. I just cannot, like, come to terms with this. This is the first time that the powers that be in the city of Chicago, the corporate leadership in the city of Chicago, the editorial leadership in the city of Chicago has been concerned about the mayor's personality. They showed no such concern whatsoever when it was Mayor's Rahm Emanuel and Mayor's Daily. Fascinating. Here's the Tribune editorial. Uh, says Lightfoot needs better advice for handling criticism. And in particular, they're upset with the way she responded to Chris uh, Kamzinski, who is the CEO of McDonald's, who gave a speech talking about crime in the city of Chicago. We have a little conversation about crime in the city of Chicago coming up with Maya Dukmasov as we promote our first Tuesday. But Mayor Lori Lightfoot did not take kindly to the CEO of McDonald's suggestions uh, that she's not doing a great job when it comes to crime in the city of Chicago. She probably wouldn't take kindly if someone asked her about the criticisms I raise uh, regarding her handling of transparency, her handling of the TIF program, her handling of public education, her confrontation with the unions. Just all, all the things I've been critical about her. If you asked her a question at a press conference regarding criticism I have, 
criticism Maya may have, criticism that anybody would have. She'd be prickly and nasty and mean. That's just how she responds. Just like Mayor Rahm, just like Mayor Daley. And yet there's this obsession with her. It's somehow different. Can't quite stomach it. Find it very peculiar. Chicagoans like mean, nasty mayors. That's why they elect them. We haven't had a nice mayor since Eugene Sawyer. He got trounced by Mayor Daley. And then Mayor Daley spent 20-odd years, 20-plus years, being mean and nasty to anyone who dared to disagree with him. Turn off their mics, yell at them, get red in the face. Never saw the Tribune write a column or an editorial about that. And by the way, why should Mayor Lori Lightfoot be any more, I don't know, what, um, respectful about the CEO of McDonald's criticism than she would be a criticism coming from Maya or me or anybody else? Because he's a CEO of a corporation? He says that because of crime, he can't recruit people to Chicago. This is a problem the CEOs are facing. I always am annoyed when CEOs say things like that. If you can't recruit people to Chicago, why don't you train the people that already live in Chicago to fill those positions? Why are you constantly looking for people from whiz kids from Stanford to fill a position that you could probably train someone right here in the city of Chicago to do? Very interesting, this ongoing obsession that Chicago has, the powers that be, the editorial writers, and the aldermen, can't forget them, with the mayor's personality. Ladies and gentlemen, there's a lot of reasons not to reelect Lori Lightfoot, if you really think about it. But her prickly personality? I don't think we'd ever elect a mayor again if we held them accountable for a prickly personality. All right, without further ado, I'm going to bring on my partner in crime. Maya Dukmasova, the legendary Maya Dukmasova, many years at the uh, Chicago Reader with me, uh, and just in Justice Watch right now. And Maya, let's do a little promotion, talk about our show coming up at the hideout, uh, October 4th, first Tuesday. Take it away, Maya. Yes, we're having a show dedicated to a discussion of of the Pretrial Fairness Act, uh, which is a a monumental progressive piece of legislation um, that was part of the Safety Act that was passed last year uh, in the Illinois legislature. So we're going to have a discussion with one of the co-sponsors of this this law, uh, State Senator Robert Peters, and attorney and frequent guest on your show uh, April Prayer about what exactly the Pretrial Fairness Act is um, and how it will work and why it's important and also the politics surrounding the rampant misinformation about uh, around it. Um, there's the last few weeks, uh, I mean, the, the kind of ramp up to um, uh, attempts to discredit or change this law has been going on basically since it was passed last year. But in the last few weeks, it's really intensified with like all kinds of stuff out there about how Illinois has this purge law and that people are just going to be able to commit crimes and get away with it. Um, in reality, what the uh, PFA does is it basically gets rid of a bifurcated justice system in which people who have money are able to get out of jail before their trials. So once they're accused of a crime, they can get out of jail. 
pay their bond, get out of jail, and have a basically a stronger chance of having um, uh, mounting a good defense in their case versus people who don't have money who end up getting stuck in jail with bonds that they can't pay, and then uh, you know they are thereby often under a lot of pressure to take plea deals to um, agree to be convicted of crimes that they didn't do or that there's no proof that they did. Um, and basically, this this new law makes it so that uh, if you are a danger to the community, if a judge finds that after your arrest, you there's a high likelihood that you would be a danger to the community uh, if you're out on bail, you cannot pay your way out of jail. And if uh, you are not a danger to the community, then you're not going to sit in jail just because you can't afford to pay your bond. So uh, we'll discuss all of this. We'll, I'm going to show uh, some mind-bending uh, and very detailed flowcharts about how the law will actually work on the ground, like what will happen after people are arrested. Um, we'll hopefully set the record straight on, you know, all of the details of what the law does and doesn't do. And I'm really excited about just having this conversation with uh, State Senator Peters and with uh, with April Prayer about about all of the fear mongering and the kind of racist dog whistles going on uh, with, the, with the way that like the right wing spin of this law is currently happening. Yes, and that's uh, Tuesday, October fourth at the Hideout, six p.m. It starts. Uh, and folks who listen to the show on a regular basis uh, know all about April Prayer and State Senator uh, Robert Peters. have been frequent guests uh, on this show. Uh, and you're absolutely correct, Amaya. I will be uh, really concentrating uh, on the uh, politics of fear, the politics of crime as we head into the midterms, which are in November. And there was a story in today's uh, New York Times, which uh, is no secret uh, to anybody who follows the cycle. Uh, and here's the headline, as Republicans intensify focus on crime, Democrats push back. Uh, this is the hope that the Democrats have. Right now, I think their focus groups have shown, uh, their internal polling has shown that uh, to exploit fears of crime is the best way they can uh, take back the Congress, uh, take back the Senate, uh, and maybe hold on to some of the gubernatorial um, seats uh, uh, throughout the country that they're in danger of losing, uh, in part because of the abortion issue. So we talked about abortion the last time uh, we did uh, a first Tuesday, and essentially we'll be talking about the politics of crime. Uh, April Prayer, uh, I think you'll uh, really enjoy her, Maya. Uh, she's a defense attorney, and one of her, uh, her uh, first pieces of advice that she gives to any one of her clients uh, is shut up and lawyer up. Uh, and so she has a long history of dealing with people who have been uh, arrested and charged with things they say they didn't do. And it's really interesting because I'd like to I, I always have this conversation with April when she comes on. Uh, her advice, shut up and lawyer up, uh, is followed to a large degree by many uh, MAGA people. Uh, right now, the, the attorney general of the state of Texas, Ken Paxton, was trying to duck out on a subpoena for a case uh, regarding abortion. Thank you, listener Frank, for sending me that. Uh, and I just got a kick out of it when I saw the article. Uh, he didn't want anything to do with the authorities. Uh, and uh, and uh, so he just ran away from it. Uh, and so, uh, yes. So when MAG is in trouble, they follow April Prayer's advice, shut up and lawyer up. Uh, and they want all their rights available to them. But it's interesting when it's just an ordinary, normal, uh, poor person in the city of Chicago 
those rights don't exist. So these are some of the political issues I'll be raising, uh, Maya, when we have the when we have the show. Yeah, and I and I'm also excited to uh, hear April talk about you know what it would mean for people like her clients and their families uh, to pay these bonds to get out of jail before anybody is has even proven that they've done anything wrong. So it's. You know, part of the impetus, and I'm sure State Senator Peters will talk about this, like part of the impetus behind this law was to really make it so that there there aren't two systems of justice for the rich and the poor. And um, I'm really looking forward to talking about the kind of consequences that these this cash bail system has had on people's families and their children, um, not just on individuals' outcomes in the in the actual case that got them arrested in the first place. Um, obviously, I'm sure they'll talk about how much uh, more likely people were to take on fair plea deals and or get wrongfully convicted or. Uh, you know, what have you, just from the pressure of being in jail. Um, but I'm also curious about the social, financial, you know, emotional, psychological impact on whole system, whole system, family systems because of the old, uh, because of the old uh, cash bail system. And um, I'm sure that both of our guests have seen it uh, firsthand and will have a lot to share on that so that people can really get an understanding of like what it will mean for our community that this old system is abolished. Very good. And one, one more time before I let you go and bring in our next guest, Dave Glowatz, uh, give the information. If folks want to get tickets online, where can they go? Yes, they can go to hideoutchicago.com. Uh, that's where they will find tickets to the show. Uh, they are, uh, you, the, the show is going to be next Tuesday, uh, August, uh, October 4th, at 6 p.m. So doors will open at 5.30. Show will start at 6. We'll go to 7, till 7.30, and it should be a really good conversation, and hopefully we'll see lots of you folks out there. Um, hideoutchicago.com to grab your tickets ahead of time. Yeah, very good. And I don't know if you know this, but Robert Peters was the one uh, who wrote uh, the uh, cameo bit that Blago did endorsing, and I have it in quotes, uh, the uh, Pretrial Fairness Act. So he may do a dramatic reading of his cameo bits. It'll be a lot of fun on top of that. All right, Maya, thank you very much. I appreciate it, all right? See you next Tuesday. See you next week. All right, very good. Maya Dukmasova, my partner in crime for First Tuesdays. First Tuesday of the month at the hideout, we'll be talking crime, politics of crime, uh, Bond, Bail, uh, Blago, and his bizarre uh, cameo uh, appearance that he did uh, on behalf of uh, Robert, or actually on behalf of Bob Peters, which is the uh, pen name for state Robert Peters. Pretty funny bit that proved once again that Blago pretty much to say anything uh, that anybody pays him to say, actually. Uh, he was, he's been a big MAGA man uh, on this issue. I've uh, been opposed to it, says it's going to increase crime. And then uh, when uh, Peters reached out to him to do a cameo bit, uh, he just read the script, endorsing it. So pretty funny stuff uh, from Blago. All right, without further ado, I'm going to bring on my distinguished guest. He comes on once a month uh, to talk about the Chicago City Council and its antics. Uh, he, <laughs> we know him as Dave Gloetz, but uh, or you know him as Dave Gloetz, but in the Ben Jarofsky Show, he's also known as Rube Goldberg, and that's an inside joke that I'm sure he's chuckling at. Dave Gloetz, welcome back. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. 
Yes. And uh, so uh, this is that monthly appearance of Dave Glowitz from Inside Chicago Government, where he plays clips. It's one of my favorite shows that we do uh, from the Chicago City uh, Council, usually the meeting that preceded the show, but sometimes committee meetings, all kinds of meetings. Uh, and then we break down the clips, analyze the clips, dissect the clips. What are the aldermen getting at? What does it mean? What's the larger meaning? What's the subterranean message uh, that they're not saying? And how is the mayor dealing with this very fragile thing called democracy uh, in the Chicago? And the word democracy will come up uh, in, in this uh, in this uh, interview. And as I always say when we do these interviews, this is total improv. Dave Glowatz has not in any way shared with me uh, what he has on these clips, except I know one, I must be, I'm, no one, I know that one involves uh, one of our favorite aldermen, Nick Spazzato, because he sent me a picture and of Nick and his knife. It's got, got a little bit of an edge to it. Oh, okay. He's got a million of them, ladies and gentlemen. And when Maya and I are done with the first Tuesday uh, show talking about uh, crime and politics, uh, Dave Glass will be doing a comedy set at the hideout. Uh, just kidding. All right, Dave, take it away. Well, we're going to talk about the September meeting of the full Chicago City Council, which took place on September 21. And it lasted five hours. It seemed like longer, but it was long enough. The council spent about two of those hours honoring various people, which is its want. So, as you know, uh, Ben Alderman Michelle Smith, Lincoln Park's 43rd Ward, resigned August 12th, which meant that Mayor Lori Lightfoot could nominate her replacement. And the mayor nominated a guy named Timmy Knudsen, whom she appointed as chair of the Zoning, Zoning Board of Appeals almost exactly two years ago. The City Council's Rules Committee approved the mayor's appointment of Knudsen as 43rd Ward Alderman, and the full council approved that on September 21. We'll now hear how that went down. We'll first hear from Rules Committee Chair Alderman Michelle Harris, then City Clerk Anna Valencia calling for an electronic vote. Then we'll hear a clerk staffer reading an introduction of a proposed ordinance. And then finally, we'll hear an excerpt from the mayor's press conference after the city council meeting. Let's listen. Reporting for your committee on committees and rules, which met yesterday, September 20th, 2022, the committee recommends passage of the following items. The appointment of Timothy R. Knudsen as the 43rd Ward Alderman and a resolution updating our committee assignments, resolutions to include Alderman Knudsen replacing the former Alderman. I move passage of this appointment by a roll call vote. Please go ahead and make sure you're logged in. If you have any issues, please raise your hand and we will now open the vote. All right, I will go and call down for, if you did not, and take your voice vote. Alderman Mitchell, Alderman Mitchell is a yes. Alderman Quinn, you're a yes as well? No. Oh, I'm sorry, Alderman Quinn, you're a no? Okay, gotcha. 46 yeas. Uh, one nay. <clears throat> uh, Madam Clerk, will you please add Alderman Knudsen to the roll for purposes of quorum? And Sergeant at Arms, will you please escort our new Alderman to his seat? Alderman Martin has proposed a resolution for amendment of City Council rules of order and procedure for the 2019 through 2023 term, modifying chairman and vice chairman for Committee on Ethics and Government Oversight, which is referred to the Committee on Committees and Rules. 
Alderman Matt Martin proposed today that he be chair of the Ethics Committee in a measure that was introduced replacing Michelle Smith. Is that something that you'll support? And um, should it just be left up to aldermen as it can be to pick their own chairs? Well, you know that there's a process by which we do that. And the process is that the mayor makes the final picks. And so I don't see any reason to break from that longstanding precedent. And now that I have a clearer sense of who's going to be here and who's not, we'll make decisions in short order. I'll just add that before voting, a bunch of aldermen made comments about Mr. Knudsen, and listeners can hear some of those in the extended version of this interview found at inside the Inside Chicago Government website, shygov.com. I also want to recognize that the question, that questioning the mayor there at the end was the Daily Line reporter, Aaron Haggerty. And I've got a bunch more to say, but I'll, first I'll go to you, Ben. Well, you have a bunch more to say about this uh, particular issue. Is that correct? Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, I don't want to st- uh, step on what you have to say, because uh, there, there's so much to comment on uh, about this. Uh, there's the Marty Quinn no vote. Uh, so another Marty Quinn is the alderman of the 13th Ward. And why did he vote no? That's a question that has to be addressed. Uh, and also what it says about the 13th Ward, that Marty Quinn would vote no. Uh, that has to be addressed. Uh, then there's the whole notion of mayors uh, being the ones who determine who gets to be the chair of the city council's uh, committees. And let me point out, being uh, the chair of a city council committee uh, is an important uh, honor uh, in the city council that usually comes from a uh, certain amount of seniority and experience and loyalty to the mayor. And I'm against this tradition. I've said that many times in these com, uh, our conversations with Dave Goatz. I'm against this tradition because I believe in the notion of a division between the factions of government. Uh, and so you have the executive branch with the mayor, you have the legislative branch with the city council, and the city council, not the mayor, in my humble opinion, should choose who the chairs of the well, committee ben, are. So let me, let me pause you there, if I may. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, let's let's take the first issue first, though, the issue of Alderman Marty Quinn being the sole no vote for Mr. Knudsen's approval. Do you want to venture a guess as to why uh, Alderman Quinn voted no? Well, I actually, uh, I can answer this question because I read the, uh, <laughs> it you had to do the with answer. the, uh, I know the answer, at least, unless it's a trick answer, no, a no, trick question. No, no. It's not a trick uh, question. Yes, uh, but I, uh, I've been following this issue, and it had to do with a, a zoning matter uh, in the 13th Ward, where uh, Marty Quinn is the alderman, uh, and uh, Knudsen, who was the chair of the, what was it, the Zoning Board of Review, uh, Zoning Board of Appeals, ZBA, uh, as they say, uh, voted against uh, Marty Quinn's uh, position, uh, and Marty Quinn said he did not, in his humble opinion, think Knudsen did a good job listening to the community, and so he could not reward him. Uh, with this, his vote uh, for Alderman. So that's my understanding of why he... And uh, let's distinguish between the City Council's Zoning Committee and the Zoning Board of Appeals. So there's two kinds of zoning issues that generally come before the city. One is when there is a new development that's going onto a parcel of land that is zoned in a particular way. So let's say, you know, your building that you live in, Ben, is zoned for a maximum of three uh, unit residential, and somebody wants to come in and put a Starbucks in there and tear your house down and put a Starbucks, and then that's a commercial 
application that requires a different zoning. So the city council's zoning committee would have to approve that new zoning. However, if you wanted to extend your front porch all the way to, say, the sidewalk, where no houses on your uh, block has that, the residential zoning, let's say, doesn't allow that. It requires a certain amount of setback from the sidewalk. That's a variance, and that would go to the Zoning Board of Appeals. So apparently what happened at some point is that somebody in the 13th Ward wanted some kind of variance that came before the Zoning Board of of Appeals and was turned down. And somebody that Alderman Quinn felt strongly about. Yeah, I and and let me say this: I have no problem uh, with an alderman voting against another alderman uh, being approved. The, I have a problem with the whole way this thing went down. So Michelle Smith was the longstanding alderman of the forty-third ward, which is Lincoln Park on the north side of Chicago, very upscale neighborhood. Uh, and I, when did you say it's in August? She decided she was going to uh, step down as the alderman. Uh, the election is in February of 2023. So there's no reason in the world that I could see that she couldn't just uh, filled out her term. She was just like six months away or five months away from finishing a four year term. When she ran for office back four years ago in 2019, she never said, well, I'm only going to serve the, until August and then I'm going to leave. I I feel as like it's the same thing happened with Michael Scott. Uh, we talked about this in the twenty fourth ward where he left. Uh, he didn't finish his term either. So I, I don't I don't understand why aldermen uh, just feel like okay I'm just going to leave the term. I'm just going to leave. I promised you I was going to be your alderman. I ran because I told you I wanted to be your alderman, uh, and then you just can't finish the race. So, so Ben, so do you that, suspect uh, that that perhaps there's something going on in the background that we don't know about? Like, for example, Smith, and this is just pure hypothetical on my part, that Smith signaled her intention not to run for re-election to the mayor. And the mayor said, well, if you step down early, I'll get to appoint your replacement as somebody who is, I'll replace you with somebody who is uh, allied to me, and that'll work best for me. That's a possibility. That's a possibility. And uh, e- even if that's not ex- literally what happened, that's a fact. I mean, if even if that conversation did not literally take place, it might as well have taken place for what went down. And I just the feel as though the, the effect is the same. And Michelle Smith, she was she had this reputation of being like the ethics guru. Uh, in the city council. And Lori Lightfoot ran as the, the candidate who was going to bring in the light and bring be all about transparency, uh, supported by Dick Simpson uh, and David Orr and Scotty Wagaspak. And here we are, same old tricks. Go ahead, Dave. Well, there is another point here is that Alderman Smith was chair of the Ethics Committee, or its uh, uh, complete name is the Committee on Ethics and Government Oversight. And Evidently, um, the council automatically, when a when mayor has appointed a new alderman, the council automatically assigns them to whatever committees on which their predecessor sat. In the case of this appointment, the 43rd Ward, as Alderman Smith had been chair of the Ethics Committee, when the council approved Mr. Knudsen, instead of making him chair of that committee as a newbie, 
it merely made him a member and left the chair vacant with the vice chair, 47th Ward Alderman Matt Martin, who is your alderman, who's temporarily in charge of the committee. Coincidentally, at this meeting, Martin introduced a resolution, which is record number R2022-971, naming himself chair and 49th Ward Alderman Maria Haddon is vice chair. So uh, that's what's going on here. And then we heard at the end of that clip, we heard uh, Aaron Haggerty of the Daily Line asking the mayor, well, what about, you know, what about Alderman uh, Martin's uh, move there? And we we heard what you uh, referred to a little while ago is the mayor saying that there has been a custom that has developed that the mayor appoints. And that custom may exist, but let me now read to you from the City Council's Rules of Order and Procedure, which I just happen to have here. Rule 36 says, and I quote, the membership of aldermen on standing committees and the chairman and vice chairman of such committees shall be determined by the City Council by resolution duly adopted, unquote. So clearly the mayor is, you know, violating and the council is violating its own rules. So why do you think, then, that year after year after year, the council allows this to happen? Well, that uh, gets to the heart of mayoral power in the city of Chicago. And uh, so many of the important uh, programs in the city are completely controlled by the mayor. Let's just talk about it in terms of dollar and cents. Uh, money is controlled by the mayor. Uh, and uh, so if you want money for... Uh, any kind of project in your ward, you need to get along with the mayor. And so aldermen will willingly cede their legislative power to the mayor in return for support from the mayor for whatever uh, financial deals they need from her, from from whatever financial assistance, usually from the TIF program I'm talking about, but also just other menu money, et cetera, and so forth. Maybe they want uh, a new police station built in the ward, which probably would be built with TIF money anyway. So if you want, if you want access uh, to the cash that you need to build the projects that you want so that you could tell your uh, constituents that you're a very effective alderman, you have to get along with the mayor. And getting along with the mayor in the city of Chicago means allowing the mayor to have pretty much control over any citywide issue uh, and uh, the shape of the city council. So there was well, a this, period... This, and this speaks to how do how do we reform this then is... Can you imagine, I'm just thinking out loud here, can you imagine, uh, let's just take tax increment financing, which you mentioned, which the mayor and her departments, Nicklin, in the case of TIF, Department of Planning, have control over it. Can you imagine a situation where, say, the planning department become comes under less control of the mayor, so the city council is not beholden to the mayor for that sort of uh, development funding? Well, I can't imagine that at the moment, but uh, it, I think that's where we should go. And uh, I just wanted, I was going to say there was a period, a brief period in Chicago history where the city council selected who the chairs of the committees would be. And that was the so-called council war phase of Chicago from 1983 to 1986, uh, when Harold Washington was those first three years of Harold Washington's term. Uh, and the lesson that Chicago seemed to take away from that period is that there was chaos and uh, 
the powers that be took that lesson away, and that there was chaos. Democracy was unruly. We didn't we didn't want too much of it, uh, and uh, so when Mayor Daley took control in '89. Uh, he made it completely clear, and he had the support of pretty much all of corporate and editorial Chicago in this regard, that he would control the city council. Uh, and that's the quote-unquote tradition that uh, Mayor Lori Lightfoot is upholding now. So you're absolutely correct when you say the rules are written in such a way where the city council should can control who the chairs are, but the tradition is that the mayor controls it. Uh, and I don't know if the city council is willing to throw that tradition uh, out the window completely. That, uh, Dave, I have to see that. And, and with all the turnover, uh, with new aldermen coming in, I can make an argument it could go either way, uh, that the, the new aldermen coming into the Chicago City Council, you, I could say, well, they'll be rookies. They won't know their way around. Uh, they'll be more dependent on the mayor. I could also say, you know what? They'll figure, hey, I got here on my own. I didn't need the mayor's support to get here. I want independence. So it could go either way. I feel as though uh, it's, uh, it's like a new era, potentially, for the city of Chicago. In terms of TIF money, they should d divide that up. They should take the pot, the annual pot, and divide it up equal, equally uh, among 50 wards, uh, which is something that should have been done 20 years ago. It's the only economic development tool the city has. Uh, and uh, the way it exists now, it favors a handful of well-to-do gentrifying wards over all the other wards in the city of Chicago. That, I do not believe, will happen, Dave Gloatz, uh, in my lifetime. So there you go. There's my. I'm looking into my crystal ball. It's an interesting um, sort of uh, vision that uh, I kind of like. And as far as the um, control of chairmanships, uh, chairs in the committees, we'll see what happens with this test case with Alderman Martin. Uh, during the September 21 meeting, the Finance Committee Chair, Alderman Scott Wagspeck, proposed that the council approve a settlement agreement in a lawsuit called Dwayne Rowlett versus City of Chicago and Chicago Police Officer Alex Rasky. And for those keeping score, that settlement is called OR2022-249. We're going to listen to Chairman Wagesbeck describe the settlement. Then we'll hear a particular Northside alderman's reaction. This piece starts with an excerpt from the September 19th Finance Committee meeting in which Assistant Corporation Counsel Caroline Franzak describes the police actions at the heart of this lawsuit from both the police and the plaintiff's perspectives. Let's listen. On January 1st of 2017, plaintiff Dwayne Rowlett was shot by Chicago police officer Alex Rasky during the course of a traffic stop. Popa has determined that the shooting was not justified and moved to separate Officer Rasky. Officer Rasky resigned from the CPD prior to charges being formally brought against him. Officer Rasky went to the passenger side of his vehicle, while Officers Finnell and Boigo went to the driver's side. Upon reaching the vehicle, the officers noticed Rowlett moving around inside the vehicle. The officers gave Rowlett multiple verbal directions to show his hands and to exit the vehicle. Officers Finnell and Boigo opened the driver's side door to try to remove him. However, Rowlett would not comply and instead physically struggled with the officers. During the struggle, despite the numerous commands to show his hands, Rowlett reached for his right side. Meanwhile, Officer Rasky was on the passenger side watching the struggle take place. Officer Rasky used his weapon to break the passenger side window of Rowlett's vehicle and then reached into Rowlett's vehicle and grabbed Rowlett's hand to stop him from grabbing anything. 
Rowlett, however, continued to persist and broke free from Rasky's grasp and again reached to his right side between the driver's seat and the center console. Rasky feared that Rowlett was reaching for a weapon. Fearing for his safety and the safety of the other officers, Rasky fired his gun nine times, striking Rowlett eight times. No gun was recovered from the vehicle. However, evidence technicians did recover a small knife from the driver's side front door pocket and another small knife in the middle rear passenger area, both within reach of Mr. Rowlett. According to Mr. Rowlett, after he committed the traffic violations, three Chicago police vehicles containing seven officers and one sergeant stopped him. As he approached him, he was afraid, so he drove away toward a gas station where he felt comfortable. The officers pursued Rowlett until he crashed his vehicle. Immediately thereafter, officers Boygo and Fennell rushed to the driver's side, and upon reaching the vehicle, both those officers holstered their weapons and put their hands on Rowlett in an attempt to pull him from the driver's vehicle. However, the officers were unable to remove Rowlett because Rowlett contends he had a seatbelt on. The officers on scene, including Officer Rasky, continued yelling conflicting and confusing orders at Rowlett from put your hands up to get the f out of the car. In an attempt to comply with the officer's command, Mr. Rowlett was reaching to the right side of his body to unlatch his seatbelt. As he tried to remove his seatbelt, it tightened up and became stuck. Because he was not exiting fast enough, Mr. Rowlett contends Officer Rasky drew his firearm and used it to break out the passenger side window of his vehicle. Rasky then reached into the vehicle, grabbed Rowlett's right arm, let go, and then fired his weapon, shooting Rowlett multiple times. Item 10D is the case of Dwayne Rowlett versus City of Chicago and Chicago Police Officer Alex Rasky in the amount of $900,000. While the item received favorable approval of the committee, I had no votes for Alderman Cardenas, Quinn, O'Shea, Tabaris, Viegas, Pizzato, Napolitano, and Riley. Unless there's anyone else wishing to vote no, then I would move to have I just wish to speak, speak on it, Chairman. Chair recognizes Alderman Spazzato. I just feel the need to say something. I know this isn't the way things work, but we had a briefing, which I was stewing about, and then we listened to what happened here in finance. This was a situation that Dwayne Rowlett was being chased by the police, driving on the sidewalk, eventually got a hold of him, stopped him, fought with the police, and then he reached for a knife. In the briefing, everybody, we were told he reached for a knife, and I asked, well, what was the size of the knife? And we were told it was a small knife. So I brought a couple props with me today. I brought a little small pocket knife I leave in my car. This is like an inch and a half. I think this is deadly. I think this thing would kill you. It's pretty sharp. It's pretty pointy. Anybody could check it out if they want. But we were told, once again, a four to five inch knife that he had in the car. I also brought a five inch knife with me. This is a five inch knife. This is what he was reaching for. When the police officer shot him, this is what he was going to get to go do what? I don't know. There's a thing in the police department called the 21 foot rule. What that is, if a guy's coming after you with a bat, a knife, any type of weapon, before you could pull your gun out and shoot him, he could get to you before you could shoot him. So I just think it's wrong for us to support this. I know there was like 10 of us against it, and I'm just a solid no, and I just want to make sure everybody knows exactly what happened. It's kind of an interesting insight into how these things go down, because the you know, the city council approves these settlements every month, and we've talked about some of them before. This, in the scheme of things, is not a real big one. It's less than a little less than a million dollars for um, Mr. Rowlett, who apparently was uh, permanently disabled by the uh, shots fired at him. Uh, there were a couple other ones. There was like a $13 million one, uh, also police misconduct related. And uh, it just shows that 
there is still there is still quite a bit of back and forth between um, the police narrative and the, um, the plaintiff's narrative in these kinds of cases. I'll pause there. Yeah, uh, and I'll say this. There's a difference between, uh, and we've talked about this many times, the way these matters are handled by the Chicago City Council uh, and the way they would be uh, handled by a jury. Uh, and so the lawyer uh, who represents the city of Chicago and is encouraging the settlement uh, is working from the notion that it would be far worse, uh, possibly, for taxpayers uh, in the city of Chicago if they go to case. So let's just remove as much as we can as any of the feelings we would have about the way the police handle themselves, the way, um, what's the gentleman's name, uh, Dwayne uh, Roulette handled himself. Just put that. Rowlett, let's put that to the side. The issue facing the alderman is whether uh, the $900,000 is less than the uh, payout a jury would give. That's what they're being asked to vote on. And they're be at, being asked to act as fiduciaries of the city. And Nick Spazzato is a consistent no vote uh, in these matters, or he objects to them. And his position as a fiduciary is that, uh, this is his fiduciary hat, uh, Dave, as opposed to being a supporter of police uh, through thick and thin, uh, is that it encourages lawyers to bring cases before the city uh, when you have these settlements. And so let's take it to court and let's the chips fall where they may. Uh, that's generally the best fiduciary argument he could give for uh, uh, not agreeing um, uh, to uh, the settlement. When I personally hear the uh, rendition of what went down, Dave, uh, it, between the police and roulette, my attitude is we're probably going to be a lot worse from a financial standpoint if we take it to, to court because it just seems to me uh, that the uh, this man was disabled. There's going to be a lot uh, more of a payout. Uh, if you put it in the hands of jury. So that's my attitude about that. Perhaps if the plaintiffs had Alderman Spizzato, uh, uh as their, uh, or should, I should say if the city had Alderman Spizzato as part of their legal staff, he could you know, come into court with his knife. Uh, because I think I sent you a photo of the um, five-inch knife that he was brandishing in the council, which was, uh, I think, the first time I've seen a knife being waved in city council. So that was... That was what prompted me to uh, to go after this particular piece. Yeah, well, uh, Nick was trying to be dramatic, and Nick was out of, aside from the fiduciary responsibility, and I'm uh, putting that aside. Uh, Nick Spazzato has made it clear uh, that he supports the blue uh, in almost all every uh, circumstance uh, that he feels under tremendous pressure and threat. Uh, he comes from a ward on the northwest side where there's a lot of police officers and firefighters. He himself uh, is a firefighter. Uh, and if you note the aldermen uh, that voted against the settlement, uh, almost all of them come from wards where there are uh, a lot of firefighters and police officers. Uh, so they're Guns and hoses. Guns and hoses, yes. Uh, your favorite rock band. Uh, so I think this will be the, the way it goes down in the city of Chicago from now on. 
And we talked earlier about democracy in the city council and aldermen feeling that they could vote the interest of their ward. This is an indication of that. This is playing out in reality. Would a Nick Spazzato and a Marty, oh, Marty Quinn and Matt O'Shea uh, have voted no back in the days of Richard M. Daly and Rahm Emanuel? I doubt it. I doubt it. Because the mayor, that we, the mayor, Mayor um, Rahm and Mayor Daly had that much power over them, particularly Rahm in that first two years or three years uh, of his um, term as mayor. So when we talk about democracy coming to the city of Chicago, uh, Dave, we're not only talking about things like aldermen getting to select chairs of committees or an elected school board, we're also talking about conservative aldermen getting to vote against settlements. That's what democracy means uh, in Chicago. Well, given that um, amount of democracy that perhaps is coming to Chicago City Council, let's move on to the next piece that uh, involves uh, quite a bit of contention and um, disagreement on the City Council. Uh, the, the, um, the, the piece we're going to listen to now involves a little bit of history concerning public housing in Chicago, and particularly the history of a public housing complex called ABLA Homes, and ABLA is an acronym that stands for Adams, Brooks, Loomis, and Abbott, which is a combination of low-rise and high-rise buildings, which had about 3,600 units of affordable housing, all owned by the Chicago Housing Authority. It's on the south side near Ashland and Roosevelt. From 1997 to 2007, the Chicago Housing Authority, or CHA, demolished the high rises in that complex and started cutting density by remodeling the low rises, creating the as yet unfinished mixed income community that the CHA calls Roosevelt Square. Under CHA's so-called plan for transformation, CHA put all the displaced residents on a wait list and it pledged to replace all the lost housing in various parts of the city. But CHA has reportedly not replaced most of the lost public housing units. Instead, it recently proposed to lease 26 acres of vacant land on the Abla footprint to the Chicago Fire Football Club, which most people know as soccer, which is owned by billionaire Joe Mansueto. And Mansueto wants to build an $80 million practice facility on that site. The CHA will reportedly use the lease money for this land to help pay for upkeep of the existing Roosevelt Square housing. And I'll quote CEO, uh, CHA CEO Tracy Scott, who was recently quoted as saying, quote, that property has been sitting vacant for 20 years, and it's time for us to do something productive with it, unquote. So. On September 20, the council's zoning committee met and considered rezoning of the land to accommodate the CHA's proposed lease. This item was taken at the end of the zoning committee meeting, and the committee voted five to seven, nixing the proposal, at which point committee chair Tom Tunney called for a recess of the meeting till 9.30 the next morning, which was half an hour before the scheduled start of the full city council. So this piece is from the reconvened zoning committee meeting on September 21, the next morning, and it starts with Chairman Tunney. Let's listen. 
the only remaining item is 02022-1838, relating to an amendment of plan development at 1201 through 1285 West Cabrini Street. Committee voted on and did not pass this ordinance earlier in the meeting yesterday. It's come to my attention that we received additional letters of support from the ABLA, Local Advisory Council, and the Central Advisory Council. That was a request, I believe, of David Moore yesterday. In light of this new information, the committee may wish to reconsider the vote. Can I get a motion to reconsider the committee's vote on Ordinance 02022-1838? Hold on. Let me just say before we get a, a yes vote is a vote to place this item before the committee for further consideration. Point of information, Chairman. All right. On the point, Raymond. Can you please tell me who voted for and who voted against this yesterday? We had seven in the negative and five in the affirmative. So only somebody who voted in the negative so would be able to make the terms, motion. Right. In terms of the point of information, a person who voted against, not an absentee person or a person who voted in the affirmative, a person who voted in the negative is a person who is asked to be reconsidered. So can I get a motion to reconsider, please? So moved by Alderman Cardona. Alderman Cardona. And just for the record, Alderman Cardona, yesterday you voted in no. opposition to this. Today you're asking us to reconsider. Yes, sir. Okay. So we're going to do a roll call. And I want to be clear. Motion to, motion to lay that on the table. While we're doing it, I call for a roll call. A yes vote is to place this item before the committee for further consideration. Alderman Hopkins. Yes. Alderman Dowell. No. We're not taking any testimony? No, we're not. There was a call for a roll. And I, uh, I, I made a motion to lay that on the table, Mr. Chairman. <laughs> yeah, that was after called for a roll call. So we're going to continue with the roll. Alderman Dowell is a no. Alderman Beal. Alderman Beal is a no, and he had his hand raised from the very beginning of this meeting. There are nine ayes and five nays. Alderman Cardona's motion to reconsider. The vote passes with the motion to reconsider passed. Ordinance 02022-1838 is now before us. We're going to do the roll call again. So voting yes is to support the facility that we've been talking about. Obviously, no, you're opposed to it. We'll start with the roll call. My hand is still raised, Mr. Chairman. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. Alderman Beal. I just wanted to state for the record that I have never seen a roll call vote that was taken in committee and was voted down. And then because we don't like the outcome of the vote, we reconvene to have another vote the very next day. Okay. Can I finish, Mr. Chairman? Yes, sir. Our rules state that anything that is voted up or down, it is the responsibility of the chair to report out whatever it is the next following day or the next city council meeting, not to reconvene and change the will or the wishes of the committee. Thank you. With all due respect, I'm going to ask Redatu refer to the rules about this issue. This is not the first time we've reconsidered. Redatu, would you like to comment on this? My name is Redatu Casa. I'm Chief Assistant Corporation Counsel in the city's law department. The procedure just undertaken by the committee is pursuant to Rule 34 of the Rules of Order and the Procedure of the City Council. Under Rule 34, any vote can be reconsidered at the same meeting or at the next regular meeting. And the motion is made by an alderman who voted on the prevailing side. 
So with that, Alderman Cardona makes a motion to pass this ordinance by the same roll call that was taken to reconsider the item. Any objection to the motion? This is Alderman Hatton. So not by roll, but by the reconsideration motion. Correct. All right. Hearing no objection, so ordered. This is a lot of fun. There's a couple of things going on here. Uh, first, I want to talk about the technical aspect, and then we can talk about what the heck happened in less than 24 hours. <laughs> so, um, Tony is um, preventing any. You notice that Alderman Beal was in there trying to do what, call, what he's called laying on the table, trying to make a motion. But the rules are such that if a vote has already been called for, then a motion to lay on the table or, you know, let's put this aside is not valid. It's, it's superseded by the uh, motion to take a vote. But Tunney went right to that motion as soon as he introduced the item. So it didn't allow as chairman any discussion before the vote. So that that was a very sort of, um, so I would say, slick bunch of maneuvering to get this vote maneuvering. Um, and then we heard the law department guy uh, going on with the technical aspect, law de department guy saying that, well, any vote can be reconsidered which is true, which is why often in city council, when you listen to them take votes, they immediately take a second vote if something is approved to say, move to reconsider the vote and everybody votes no. So it can't be, you know, this can't be done elsewhere. And there's an obscure part of it, which uh, the law department guy mentioned that the only person who can make a motion, the only alderman who can make a motion to reconsider is someone who voted in favor of who's on the prevailing side of the vote. So that prevents the naysayers from, from gumming up the works. So that's the first part. The second part is, you know, when the, the committee on the 20th nixed the rezoning of this, you know, soccer facility development, some people, some persons had to scramble to get this all put together for the following morning at a half hour before the the city council meeting and that's where i'll turn to you ben yeah there's so much to unpack here uh this is uh anthony beal of the ninth ward is a recurring character in our conversations with dave glowatz uh because he has emerged in the lori lightfoot era as more or less the reformer in the chicago city council uh, a, a transformation I would not have predicted based on the first, I don't know, 15 or so years of his career when he was a council loyalist uh, to both uh, De Mayor Daley and Mayor Rahm, a point I feel compelled to make uh, every single time uh, when we have a conversation with Anthony Beal. Uh, and and then I go on to say I really pr appreciate the fact that he's taking on this role uh, because somebody has to do it. And the people that used to play this role, like Scott Wagesbeck, are now uh, the chairs uh, of committees, and they're the ones playing the games. Uh, Tom Tunney, I also want to point out, uh, is collecting signatures for a possible run for mayor against Lori Lightfoot. Uh, and so uh, when he does, when he pushes and when he uses whatever tricks of the council he can find uh, to uh, take a loss and turn it into a victory on behalf of the Chicago Fire, I uh, submit to you, Dave Glowatz, that he's not doing this to help Mayor Lori Lightfoot, but he's doing this uh, to show uh, Joe Mansueto, who's the, 
the owner of the Chicago Fire, that he, Tom Tuddy, can be counted on uh, in the clutch to look out for corporate Chicago and is sending a message. That he's willing to, to play ball. Yes. And he's sending a message, a very loud and clear message, uh, that he will be a very compliant uh, mayor if elected on behalf of corporate Chicago. So there's the issue of whether this is good for the so city. So you said that, that Tunney is... That Tunney is actually collecting, nominating signatures for a run for mayor. Yes, he is. Uh, that story broke uh, today, uh, and uh, so he's. That doesn't mean he's going this to run for mayor. News. Yes, <laughs> breaking news. That doesn't mean he's going to run for mayor, but it does mean that he's holding up the options. And I will give him credit uh, in this regards. He announced he was stepping down as alder. He's not going to run for re-election. So unlike Michelle Smith, unlike Michael Scott, uh, he did not leave early. Uh, and he's still the alderman. Okay. So if he's going to run, uh, for mayor, he's still going to finish out his term and there will be an open election, uh, to replace him. And it won't be a mayor appointee, uh, running quote unquote for a reelection. Uh, so I agree with Anthony Beal wholeheartedly. Uh, go ahead. So since you brought up, uh, we're doing a little mind reading here, um, Tunney's motivations. I think it's a good segue into the next piece because I have several pieces on this, but it speaks to whether, Tunney is working, uh, as you say, in, in uh, the interest of his own election for mayor, or how uh, he is supporting the Lightfoot administration in this rezoning. And this next piece starts with the zoning committee chair, Tom Tunney. And I'll ask that, that you and the listeners pay special notice to the back and forth between Tunney and the mayor around who asks for a roll call vote. Let's listen. Document number 02022-1838. I move passage of this item by the same motion if there is no objection. There are no objections to order. Well, there is an objector that has brought to my attention a couple since our morning meeting, and that is Alderwoman Haddon, I think Alderman Martin. There might be more, so and, uh, speak up. Uh, Alderman Vasquez, are you also a no on this? All right, so Martin Ramirez-Rosa, Gil Villegas, David... I think we should just do a, if you don't mind, okay. we should do a roll call vote. All right, wait, hold on a second. So I think we request for roll call. Mayor, uh, do we want to do we want to go roll call or are we asking for some testimony from our colleagues? Alderman Irvin, do you want to speak to this matter? I do not wish to speak to the matter. If there's going to be debate on the matter, yes, if we're just going to vote, we can just vote. The chair recognizes Alderman Moore. As this came up in committee yesterday, and one of the things I asked was that letters be presented from the LAC and the CAC, and those letters were presented. I was torn between doing what I believe is an issue that we have to address, which is homelessness and public housing, but also democracy. The residents of CHA has a local advisory council. They also have a central advisory council who they elect to represent them. And as much as I may want to be against something, democracy says you have to listen to the people that represent the people. Thank you, Madam President. Thank you, Alderman Moore. I believe there's been a request for a roll call. Alderwoman Taylor. The plan for transformation has failed. They absolutely haven't built any housing, and they love doing land swaps without having actual land to actually build on. Myself sat on a CHA waiting list for 29 years. I have a kid that's 29 years old, and so what if I waited? Would me and my children be homeless? 
Would I have somewhere to stay? And so CHA has a responsibility to not only come to the council, but to do something different. They haven't done what they are supposed to do. And so I don't want to hold this against your constituents, but we got to be able to hold CHA accountable, and we haven't. Alderman Sixto Lopez. I think it's unconscionable not to take the time so that we can create more affordable and public housing. I'm glad to see that now we finally got the letters formally on record of the LAC. I do think it's important that we take our time to have, you know, deliberations on this matter. It is clear that the plan for transformation have failed. I tell you, in the Abla homes today, we have only delivered a third of what was promised. On top of that, this is the second private-public partnership that is privatizing land that should be used for public housing. I'm not in opposition to what Alderman Irving is proposing so that we have more deliberation and more community engagement. There were over 70 residents outside of the LAC in the Abla homes who are asking for more time to learn about the benefits, but more important than anything else, that we do not lose more space for public housing. I mean, I don't know why an extra month to have these conversations will be so horrible. So I'd like to move forward and ask that we defer and publish this item so that we have just an extra month so that we can discuss this matter. I think that that is a reasonable ask. Call vote. There's a roll call vote on the floor. People are asking questions. We're going to allow people to comment. Right. And then we are going to move to a roll call vote. Right. Alderman Ramirez Rosa. As we look at this agreement between CHA and the Chicago Fire, I find that we haven't gotten the best deal possible for the people of the city of Chicago. Mansueto, the owner of Chicago Fire, is worth $5 billion. Despite that fact, we are entering into an agreement with him where at this moment in time, we're not going to get the type of housing and affordable housing that our communities need. Now, I understand that Alderman Jason Irvin feels that this is a good deal. And I understand that we have a practice here of aldermanic prerogative, of member deference. But we have also set a precedent in this body that there are certain circumstances where a project is so important or where the cause that we're seeking to address, the issue we're seeking to address is so important that sometimes we have to have a citywide conversation about whether or not this is the best deal. It happened to our colleague Anthony Napolitano who objected to a project moving forward in his ward, but a majority of this council said, we think that for the sake of affordable housing, we think for the sake of public housing policy, we need to overrule our colleague here. Mansueto is worth a lot of money. We should be getting a lot more. We should be able to say, as a result of this trade, we are going to be able to build housing in communities where we would otherwise not be able to build affordable or public housing. And if it's in order, I will join my colleague, Alderman Byron Sigcho Lopez, in deferring and publishing this matter. I'll just make a couple points here, Ben. There were other remarks by First Ward Alderman Daniel Espada around the CHA's unmet legal obligation to provide additional housing. Listeners can hear that in the extended version of this interview found at the Inside Chicago Government website, shygov.com. Also there at the end, Alderman um, Ramirez Rosa, 35th Ward Alderman, Mention Alderman Napolitano of the 41st Ward, and um, that refers to a rezoning for affordable housing in his ward that passed last winter over his objection, pushed, but it was pushed by the administration, so that, that's why that's relevant. And then finally, I just want to observe, and we can talk about this, at about half a minute in, the mayor says, I think if you don't mind, we should do a roll call vote. And about 10 seconds later, Chairman Tunney says, Mayor, do we want to go roll call or are we asking for some testimony? 
So later on, Alderman uh, Sicha Lopez and Alderman Ramirez Rosa both say that they will do what's called a defer and publish, which means delay the vote on this for a month. But Tunney interjects at one point and says, no, we already have a roll call vote motion on the table, so defer and publish is not valid. But it sounded to me like the mayor called for a roll call vote. And that's that's uh, this interesting uh, interesting aspect of this train that's running down the track. And the last thing I'll say is it passed 37 to 11. Uh, yeah, there's uh, we could do a whole show on this one particular issue. Uh, and uh, I, I mean, on so many aspects of it. Uh, we've already talked about the games that, that were played in committee uh, to get, after the mayor. Essentially, the failure was on the part of the mayor and the mayor's office uh, and Tom Tunney as well to make sure that they had the yes votes there in the city council at that zoning meeting. So that's where they dropped the ball. Uh, now, I know in soccer, you're not even supposed to pick up the ball. So maybe metaphor is off. Uh, but that's where the ball was dropped. So to uh, to cover up for that mistake, they had to have that second meeting. So we already heard about this. Now, the, the issue, the issue of uh, the CHA and the long, torturous matter of public housing in the city of Chicago. Books have written about, about this. Lawsuits have been filed about this. Essentially, uh, these high-rise enclaves, many of them were constructed in the 50s during the term of Richard J. Daley in order to maximize segregation, to keep black people out of white neighborhoods. That's why they were built, ladies and gentlemen. In the 1990s, Mayor Richard J. Daley's son, Richard M. Daley, said these uh, high-rise con uh, constructs were unconscionable. They were just in poor shape. They were just, it was misery for the f residents uh, that lived there. So on behalf of the residents that live there, we're going to tear them down, have a plan for transformation, build new housing, lower uh, scale housing, nicer housing, and then we're going to bring those residents back. Absolutely everybody in the know in the city of Chicago just rolled their eyes at that declaration because they knew that this was really a matter of getting poor people out of the city, getting them off desirable property, getting opening up that property for development. And there but was no intention to bring the poor people back. Housing. Yes. So they'll put them on a wait list. That's where they'll put them. They won't put them in a house. And when Jeanette Taylor speaks up, I got so much respect for Jeanette Taylor because she is just always going to stand true to the principles that got her to run for office in the front. No, before that, that got her to speak up uh, as a community rep and a LSC member before that, years before she ran for alderman. So I give her a lot of props for speaking up. But this is a travesty. There's so much empty land in the city of Chicago where the Chicago Fire could build a practice facility. Why they got to put it on land that the CHA owns that's been designated or should be designated for replacement housing for the housing that was cleared away uh, back in, in the 1990s and early O's is absurd. The only reason they're doing it, in my humble opinion, is because that's where the fire wants to be and because the CHA and the powers that be do not want more poor people in that area. So I, I would appreciate them if they were just honest. That's an interesting question. Why do you think why do you think the fire wants to be in that particular spot? That's what I. Uh, that's something I've never. Heard. I, I don't know. I don't know the. I don't know the answer to that question. I'm not the. I've never met the the gentleman Mansueto who owns the fire, uh, and um, so I have no idea why they like that area more than any other area. I mean, it, it's kind of closer to the other 
the United Center, where the Bulls practice, the Blackhawks practice out there. I, I do not know. <clears throat> Maybe there's accessibility issues with the transportation. I don't know. All I know is that there's <clears throat> plenty of other land in the city of Chicago he could have gone to. Uh, but I've just finished it, Dave. I would appreciate a little more honesty, you know, with the city of uh, city, the city and the way they behave on the issue of housing and automated prerogative. What a joke. We've discussed that so many times. It doesn't exist, people. Okay, stop pretending it exists. It has never existed in the city of Chicago on matters that the mayor wants. And by the way, the theme of the day is democracy in the city council. When a mayor insists on a project, the mayor generally uh, gets his or her way, regardless of what the local alderman wants. Now, that may change if democracy really does come to the Chicago City Council, uh, where the mayor will be voted down. But I can't recall an instance uh, where there was a land use uh, debate in which the local alderman prevailed over the mayor when they had a dispute. So the whole notion of alderman and prerogative has been a ruse. It's a concoction. It doesn't exist. Uh, and it would be healthier, far healthier for the people of the city of Chicago to stop pretending that it does exist. One thing that didn't play is a couple of aldermen who uh, sort of were making the point that you were making or contradicting the point that you were making, saying that, they're going to stand up for the alderman who is the um, local alderman in this ward, which is Jason Irvin of the 28th ward, and said that, you know, we're not going to, uh, these aldermen who, who said that said that we are not going to uh, work against the wishes of the alderman because that alderman should have uh, prerogative, they should have uh, say, should have the, uh, they should be respected to live, uh, to uh, have the uh, have the respect of their alderman, their fellow aldermen who see them as um, having their ear to the ground in their own wards. Well, that's all I've got for today, Ben. So let's leave it there. Let's, uh, let me say that at the end, that if listeners want to hear some other audio and extended comments by aldermen for this city council meeting, then go to the Inside Chicago Government website at shygov.com. Also find us at facebook.com slash insightgov and on Twitter at C-H-I-G-O-V-T. And I want to say thanks to you for, again, uh, indulging my obsession and thanks to Nate for all the tech. Yes, uh, and it's an obsession I share. Uh, Dave Glowitz and I have been talking about Chicago City politics, ladies and gentlemen. All right, get ready for this. 15 years. 15 years. Uh, 2007. Shout out to Kevin Lamb for introducing us all those years ago. Uh, 15 years we talk about Chicago politics and uh, we'll probably, if all goes well, be talking about it for at least another 15 years. So thank you very much, Dave Glowetz. Uh, and also want to thank DJ Nate, the aforementioned DJ Nate, sitting in uh, for Dr. D, who's on paternity leave. Uh, DJ Nate, give yourself a raise, take it out of petty cash. Take care, everybody. Take care, everybody.